Amen. You can be seated. Thanksgiving is fast approaching, of course, coming up this weekend and celebrating with families, perhaps over the course of the next week or so. And if you are in our online audience tonight and you are watching uh, from the United States, you might be thinking that this is maybe a replay from last November or something, but Canadians do celebrate Thanksgiving in October. Fun fact, food for thought. Now, there is nothing quite like a home-cooked, hearty, stick-to-your-bones, mm-mm, good Thanksgiving dinner. And can I get a witness in the house today? Now, our family will often cook a turkey on Thanksgiving. Is that anybody else's custom? You cook a turkey or you eat turkey on Thanksgiving? Sometimes we will be graced by a glazed ham. Thank you, Mother. And we've even dabbled in some roast beef at times. Thank you, Grampy. Uh, all the trimmings and all the trappings, you know, all the sides, uh, the stuffing or the dressing, if you please. And none of it is complete without rivers of flowing golden gravy. <laughs> I feel my help coming on tonight. Now, you all could probably relate when I say that there's nothing quite like the satisfaction of sitting on the couch after you've stuffed your gullet with a meal like that. You sit there in your tryptophan-induced sleep coma, you can Google that later, and all is well with the world. There's no food-related satisfaction quite like that, I must say, the, the after-effects of a Thanksgiving dinner. But I do want to say that I have one challenge when it comes to these large meals, be it Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatnot, and uh, my struggle is this. I struggle to manage my hunger, and I've noticed that these meals, they tend to land at odd times during the day trying to coordinate with different families and different households and nap times and bedtimes and, and all of that. And, and sometimes they, they land at these odd, odd times. And so if memory serves me correctly, I seem to remember that on average we start somewhere between like 2 and 3 in the afternoon for these large meals. Maybe it's not the same for you and maybe you don't relate at all, but that has happened in my, in my case. And I don't have anything against... 3 o'clock in the afternoon, that's fine, but let's admit that it's kind of odd to start a meal at a time that is fixated directly in between two regular meal time slots. It's three hours past lunch, it's a few hours ahead of a, a typical evening supper time slot, it's kind of in no man's land. And I'll be honest, I, I, I struggle sometimes to wait to eat until 3 o'clock. Start to get hungry around lunch, usually, as is normal. But if I start to eat something at lunch, then I've only got three hours to work up an appetite again, and that's just not enough time. Certainly not for a dinner that deserves my deepest hollow leg, you know. Even if I just have a light snack, some cheese and crackers, perhaps, that still takes away from my appetite, and so I'm faced with a conundrum, and maybe you have been too. Do I indulge in my appetite in the moment and fill up on snacks, or do I save my hunger for the main meal? Now, the best way to approach a Thanksgiving dinner without question is hungry. 
Because if you will come hungry, you will leave satisfied. But if you come already full and satiated by your snacking, then you will be to some degree indifferent toward that beautiful meal. Now my subject tonight, this is how I wanted to frame it, and I hope we don't get sued or no litigation by IHOP, but my subject is come hungry, leave happy. Look at your neighbor and say, come hungry, leave happy. <laughs> In a lot of ways, hunger is like currency. And like money, you have a limited amount of hunger that you can spend on one thing or another. And once you spend your hunger, once you deplete your appetite, it's gone, at least for the moment. That's why we tell our kids, don't eat junk food. It will spoil your supper. It will spoil your supper. Snacking spoils your appetite for something that will nourish and satisfy you more later. But later is sometimes hard to wait for, so we snack. Do we have any guilty snackers in the room tonight? Now, as moms and dads, we understand that our kids only have so much of an appetite. It's limited. It's finite. And when their appetite is spent and that hunger is satisfied, perhaps by junk food or candy bars or potato chips, when we all sit down at the table at 6 p.m. for supper, the wholesome, nourishing meal that has been prepared isn't all that appealing anymore. When you get together at 3 in the afternoon for Thanksgiving dinner, it's not as appealing as it would have been if you've been snacking. It would have been appealing. That supper would have been appealing to your children, but they spoiled it because they filled their tummies with other things. And I am convinced that our walk with God is a lot like that Thanksgiving dinner at 3 in the afternoon. Or eating food more generally. I am convinced that our inner man only has so much of an appetite. And it likewise is limited and finite. And if we aren't careful and intentional, then we can lose our hunger for the things of God because we are stuffed with the stuff of this world. Hunger is powerful. It's a driving force. I mean, hunger is what picked that prodigal up out of the pig pen and sent him back to the father's house. Hunger is a powerful force that can guide us, that can lead us into greater things or, or not so great things. So hunger is powerful. And having a hunger for spiritual things is necessary to serve the Lord. In fact, Jesus said in His Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And if you look up that word, that is not just talking about having a partial filling. That's talking about gorging yourself. That's, that's one of the contexts of the meaning of that word. This is, this is bountiful and, and you're blessed when you hunger and thirst after righteousness. The psalmist said, and I, my mind immediately went to this verse in Psalm 42, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so my soul panteth after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now we read verses like that from Psalm 42, and, and honestly, if we've heard them a lot, and we know the old hymn, you know, as the deer panteth for the waters, and all that, I won't sing the rest. 
And we've heard it so much, I think our initial reaction is, well, isn't that cute? That's so precious. Yes, Lord, we're hungry for you. And it just becomes something we say. And I think our minds, when we read Psalm 42, verse 1, we think of Bambi or something frolicking through the woods from one stream to the next, just having a little sip here and a little sip there, one sip on this Sunday, and then we come to Wednesday and we're sipping here. And, and, and that is not the picture that is being painted by the psalmist. The picture here is not meant to evoke a cute forest folktale. The picture is of a deer desperately searching for water lest it die. That's the picture. That's the imagery. Thirst is not comfortable. Hunger is not fun. In fact, I would say that hunger hurts. Hunger hurts. It stings. It's not comfortable. We call it hunger pangs for a reason. And ultimately, the reason we ever feel hunger, whether it's natural hunger or spiritual hunger, whether it's a natural thirst or a spiritual thirst, it's because we find ourselves in a position of lack. It's only deficit that creates an awareness of hunger and thirst. Only a deficit. You know, and I want to be hungry for God like that. I want to be hungry for God uh, after, after, after righteousness that I might be filled. I want to be hungry and thirsty like that deer that is searching frantically to find something that will satisfy the thirst. But the issue is because hunger is uncomfortable, because hunger hurts, our flesh so quickly and casually reaches for any old thing oftentimes to satisfy our hunger. Anything so we don't have to feel that deep, nagging sense of longing. I wonder today, and I've been asking myself this question. This is something that's been in my spirit for me long before it's been brought to you in this, in this way tonight. But are we truly hungry for God? Are you hungry for God? Am I hungry for God? Or has that become a lyric that we sing in service? Are we desperate like the panting deer? Or is our thirst already being quenched by something other than the things of God? I want to tell us tonight, I am persuaded that we need to learn to cultivate hunger for God. We cultivate it. We're responsible for managing our appetites. And the only way to cultivate hunger for God is by saying no to other things that would otherwise satisfy us. That's the only way that we can, that we can build up and, and feel this sense of longing for the things of God. The only way is to store it up, to bank it up, to not spend it on frivolous, trivial things. Save it so that you can start to feel that deep longing for God and for His Word and for His presence and for His promises. You've got to cultivate it. It's your responsibility and it's mine. I think the Lord helped me to understand it this way and I'll say it this way. We have to say no to what we want now so that we can say yes to what we want most. We have to say no to what we want in any given now moment because our flesh in the now, as we walk day by day, as we go through our routines, our flesh is going to want to just grab this off the shelf and, and swing open the cupboard doors. I wonder what we can snack on today. 
But only by saying no to what we want now can we then say yes to what we want and what we need most. So during Thanksgiving dinner, what I want most this coming week is to be full of the wholesome home-cooked goodness. But in order to desire that and to have room for that, I'll have to say no to some snacks that I'll want now. There's an interesting story in Genesis 25. It's a story of two brothers, and perhaps you know it well. Their names were Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob, he, he was a mama's boy. He liked to sit around home. He was a plain man, the Bible says. Now, Esau, on the contrary, was a skilled hunter. He didn't like to sit around home. He was an outdoorsman. He hunted game. And it's interesting to me, and I'm drawn to this story because this story involves hunger. And it reveals to us that mismanaged hunger can hinder your life being blessed, and it can lead you down an undesired path. Genesis 25, 29, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, one day when Jacob was home cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness. He was exhausted, and the Bible says he was hungry. Somebody say, he was hungry. And again, hunger isn't fun. Nobody likes being hungry. That's why we'll do anything possible to not feel hungry. Anything. I mean, if, if somebody here tonight was hungry enough, you'd get up and walk out and leave probably. I mean, we just don't like being hungry. I'm not indicting anybody. Somebody just got up and left at that moment. So that was probably not the greatest illustration, but they must be hungry. It's not comfortable. And so we try to satisfy it. We try to pacify it. Anything to avoid hunger. And I think that's what was happening here with Esau. Esau says to Jacob, his brother, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. The Bible even says that this is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. Jacob says, all right, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. And so we have to pause at this point in the story to recognize that this is not a good deal. Esau was the firstborn, and as such, he was entitled to double the inheritance of his brother, Jacob. And Jacob, whose name means supplanter and deceiver, he decides to take advantage of the situation, to take advantage of his brother's appetite. And he required Esau to give up that double portion in exchange for just one bowl of beans. This is not a good deal. And it's easy for us to see that on this side of the story. And I'm sure that Esau recognized his error shortly after he ate the bowl of stew. But in the moment, Esau wasn't able to avoid the temptation. In that moment, Esau gave up a significant double portion blessing from his father in exchange for a single bowl of soup. And I would say that Esau traded what he wanted most for what he wanted now. Esau traded away something that was so bountiful and so blessed for something that would last just a few moments. His desire for the temporal, it overshadowed and it crowded out his desire for a blessing from his father, a blessing that could only come from one source, and that was his dad. And as a result, he missed out. He missed out on something so amazing for something so fleeting. And we look at this story and we think that Esau must have had brain damage and how can you be so dumb? 
But I'm convinced that we all are prone to do the exact same thing in various moments throughout our days. I think we all could agree that what we want most are the things of God. What, what we all want most, if we, were to, if we were to all take a poll tonight, the things we want most are blessings that can only come from our Heavenly Father. We want revival. We're a people that want to be a part of a growing, thriving church, not just locally but globally. Amen? We want to, we want to have a personal walk with God, and we want to know what it is to know His voice for ourselves. We want to be able to, to understand the Scriptures and to hear God speaking from them into our lives. We want to know what it is to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. Ultimately, we want to make a difference in our world for Jesus Christ. That's what we want most. I think everybody would say that. But like Esau, what we want and what we need most is for our lives to be blessed by our Heavenly Father. That's what we want most. But how often do we succumb to the things we want now? Because we don't like the feeling of being hungry. We don't know sometimes how to control appetites. And so we will say yes to meager temporal fare. We'll say yes even to a worthless bowl of beans. Here one minute, gone the next. And what we don't fully grasp, I think, is that in those moments, we are simultaneously saying no to a blessing from God. Esau said in verse 32, Look, I'm dying of starvation. And what good is my birthright to me now? Everyone say now. You see, Esau got caught up in what he was feeling right now, and he couldn't recognize the value of what was coming to him someday later. You know, I, I've, I've heard this definition of, of maturity, and I think it's an, a very appropriate definition that, that maturity is being able to postpone pleasure. Esau was lacking a whole lot of maturity in that moment. He, he couldn't see beyond the moment. He couldn't see the never-ending for the now in front of his face. And as a result, he traded it away for a bowl of beans. And so Jacob said, all right, you can have, you can have a, a bowl of stew, but first swear to me that your birthright is mine. And so Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all of his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. And when you say yes to what your flesh wants now, what happens next is you trade away what you want most, and that's exactly what happened for Esau. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal. He got up. He left. The Bible says that he actually shows contempt in this moment for his rights as the firstborn. The King James would render it and say that he despised his birthright. He despised the things that could only come from his father. You've got to recognize the gravity of this story and, and its implications for us tonight. That Esau traded away something that would have benefited him for the rest of his life. Esau traded away something that would have blessed his family for generations to come. And it was all for something that lasted just a few moments. And then it was over. One bowl of beans. What would make a person do such a stupid thing? <laughs> How could someone be so nearsighted and not see past the moment and not see it for what it was and not recognize the, the, the weight of the glory that was someday to come? All it was was a mismanaged appetite. That's it. 
It was hunger that was mismanaged. It was hunger that was satisfied by something temporal instead of holding out for it to be satisfied that can, by something that can only come from God. Now, we're funny, you know, we read stories like this and uh, it's easy for us to snub our noses at people like Esau. It's easy for us to think that we would have done it differently if we were in their shoes. But the truth is we all know what it is to feel spiritual hunger and then let the temporal things of this world momentarily satisfy and pacify our appetite. I'll say tonight that there is only one thing that can truly satisfy every longing soul. And it isn't the meager fare of this world. And it's not the pleasures of sin that only satisfy for a season. The only thing that can satisfy your soul and mine is a relationship with God and the blessings that He brings to your life. There's some blessings that can only come from our Heavenly Father and I don't want to trade those away for anything. So let us not be like Esau and trade what we want most for what we want right now. I was laying in bed the other night and I don't know, probably wasting time on my phone or something and and I had been just stirring and stewing on these things. And, and it occurred to me that each night I, I maybe spend more time scrolling on Facebook or, or catching up on the news or, or if you're prone or you know, inclined to play a video game or whatever, whatever your vice might be. When I say yes to those things, I'm saying no to other things. I'm saying no to being rested. I'm saying no to getting up early. Am I making it too plain tonight? I'm saying no to getting up and having some time with the Lord in prayer and in the Word. When I say yes to some things, I'm saying no to other things. We don't even recognize it sometimes. We're making decisions we don't even realize. We get so caught up sometimes with saying yes to God. And we have appeals and we have altar calls. And will you say yes to the Lord? But maybe your next move is not to say another yes to God. Maybe your next move is to go and say no to some things that are consuming your appetite, which will then allow you to follow through on your last yes from God. we got to say no to some things so that we can start to feel that deep-seated, deep-rooted hunger for the things of God in our lives again. Because as long as I'm saying yes to this and to that, to this snack and to this, to this, to this, whatever, this meager fare, as long as I'm saying yes there, I'm saying no over here. I want to stop spending the currency of my hunger on bowls of beans. That's what I'm saying tonight. And I want to start spending it on God. But it starts really with a no. It starts, Esau, with you recognizing that that's really not worth it. It's not a good deal. I was preparing for this and I, uh, my mind went back to, uh, we traveled when we got married to Orlando, Florida, actually, for our honeymoon. And uh, we were young and, you know, young, dumb, and in love and all that stuff. And uh, one of the ways that we exemplified our dumbness was we felt like it'd be a good idea to hit like every Disney park ever imagined by Walt. And, uh, and so we did. We, got, we went to the Big Four. We went to a Universal Park. And we were worn plumb out by the end of it. 
Now, one thing that you'll know if you've ever been to a Disney park is they like to upcharge you for air that you breathe when you walk through the gates. So we were there, and, uh, and I went back just to confirm. For whatever reason, we either didn't take or didn't use credit cards. I don't know if we just were scared to use credit cards in America. Again, we were young. We didn't know very much. But uh, probably what happened is we had some cash that came as gifts, and we got some out of the bank, and we just went with cash. And that's all we had. There was not a single transaction on our credit card that whole week. And so I'll never forget this. We, uh, you know, we had just been having fun, and you go to Disney, and it's like, yeah, $5 for a bottle of water. No problem. No problem. And, yeah, deep-fried turkey legs, never had it before, but why not? If you've never been, you don't know. Um, and so we get done all of, our, all of our fun, and we're heading back home, and we had some delayed flights, and we get into Bangor, Maine, and it's pushing midnight, if memory serves me correctly. And uh, I realized as we're landing and getting to the airport, remembering that we have to catch a cab back to our hotel where our vehicle is parked, I realized I didn't have enough money for the cab fare. And it was late, and, and I didn't have, you know, uh, U.S. cards, or I didn't know if I could get money out, and I just was panicking. We just went out, and thankfully there was an angel there that day in the cab, and he let us travel for for like $2 and a toonie and a button and some pocket lint. And, and we made it back to the hotel, no problem. And we were very grateful to God. But I realized in that moment, you know, that all the other preceding moments really set me up for a pickle. In the moment when we're walking through animal kingdom and the magic kingdom and all the other kingdoms of this world, I was so willing to spend what I had on overpriced amenities at Disney. But then when I realized I didn't have enough for the cab fare, I, re I realized that by saying yes to what I wanted in those nows, by saying yes to souvenirs that I've never seen since, by saying yes to the turkey legs and the bottles of water and the you know, the fans that spray water on you because, I mean, you need to spend $20 on that, of course. I realized by saying yes to what I wanted now, I was saying no to having cab fare, which is definitely what I needed most at midnight. <laughs> Newly married, wife standing just off to the side, that is what I needed most. Praise the Lord. It's funny, I'll just tell this is totally aside from the sermon, but... We got back to the hotel, and the van, the, the 2003 Kia Sedona, and the battery was dead. It's midnight. And so there was an angel in the cab. There was also an angel behind the desk uh, at the hotel, and he came out. And we were, like, wedged in a corner, and there were shrubs, a shrub bed in front of the van, like, on two sides. And I'll never forget this man. He was so kind to us. He literally drove his black Honda Civic over the shrubs at the hotel. I'm sure he demolished them, but I just drove away. I'm, just, I'm getting out of here. I can't pay for that. I can't even afford cab fare. I can't pay for your shrubs. And he boosted us, and we got out of there, but... We need to say no to some things so we can say yes to what we need the most. You know, this is embodied, and I'll hasten to a close. This is embodied in the temptations of Christ in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus did it right. Jesus said no to what he wanted now so he could say yes to what he wanted most. 
I mean, really, this is the essence of any temptation that comes our way, is it not? We say no now for something greater later. And that's what Jesus did. I'm sure Jesus would have loved to turn stones to bread. He had fasted for 40 days. I'm sure it would have been easier to do an acrobatic stunt off the temple and have a fast track to fame and notoriety. I'm sure Jesus would have loved to avoid the cross, the suffering, and the shame and bow down to the devil instead. That would have been easier. All of those temptations were the easier alternatives to going through with God's ultimate plan. But if Jesus would have said yes to the easy road in the now, he would have been saying no to all of us being here today which is what Jesus wanted most. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross and despised the shame. And so Jesus knew, I know he was God in flesh, but he was still flesh. And Jesus knew that I've got to say no to these things because there's something greater coming down the road in the future. And I know he saw all of our faces and and the church around the world in the end times and for all the ages from that time till now. He saw all of us but he said yes to us by saying no to that I refuse to let my temporal appetites control me I refuse to let my temporal appetites prevent me from fulfilling God's ultimate will in my life And so here's the the mandate for us we've got to hold on to hunger we've got to hold on to it and it doesn't feel great It's easier to grab our smartphone. It's easier to go from one distraction to the other. It's easier to get caught up in the cares of this life. But when we feel it, we've got to hold on to it. Cultivate it. Care for it. And wait for it to ultimately be satisfied by God. The only thing that can satisfy the spiritual hunger within the human heart is being in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and walking with the Lord. That is the only thing that can satisfy the longing soul. Music, you can come and join me. I'll wrap up. Solomon is an interesting character in the Old Testament. Solomon, he lived on both sides of the tracks, as it were. And during one season of his life, he served God. And he lived according to God's word, and he did things right. Then during another season, Solomon tried to find pleasure in all of the wrong places, in the things of this world. He tried to find pleasures in possessions and entertainment and women and money and land and building projects. You name it, Solomon tried it. And he had the money, the wealth, and the prestige to back up this pleasure pursuit in his life. Solomon tried it all. But at the end of it all, He came to to the conclusion that everything he had tried was pointless, vanity, and vexation of spirit. None of it really satisfied the longing that he had in his heart. And so he concludes the book Ecclesiastes, which it's kind of like his diary that he wrote during this wayward season of his life. And he concludes with these powerful words. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Solomon had seen both sides of the coin. You know, he he knew what it was to serve and honor the Lord, and he also knew what it was to allow the world to attempt to satisfy those desires. 
And at the end of it all, Solomon figured out where true satisfaction lied. He said, fear God and keep his commandments. I've never been more satisfied. I've never been more fulfilled than when I did it God's way. Amen. Now, earlier in this same book, Solomon would pen these words. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in his time. And he has also set eternity in the human heart. Which, if we were to try to understand and paraphrase what Solomon is saying, it's that in every human soul there is this God-given awareness. There's something more than this temporal world. Solomon figured out that, that everything around him was vanity. And so it's the responsibility of every human being, every man, woman, boy, and girl, to lay hold on eternity. It's within us. It's in our hearts. So as we long and as we search for fulfillment in the temporal, we will be left longing. All of us have this innate desire for that which is eternal because God made us that way. We're made in His likeness. We're made in His image. And He is eternal. And so are we. So are we. So it's important that we recognize that He's our source. And only in Him will we be satisfied. You see, all the money, all the stuff, all the friends, all the connections, really anything that this world has to offer, it will never satisfy your soul. All of the reaching, all of the searching, all the yearning for satisfaction and fulfillment, it only leaves you with this gnawing, nagging sense for more. In fact, Jesus would say, even if you could somehow gain this whole world, even if you could have all the wealth, all the connections, all the influence, if you could have all the land, if you could have all the elements, all the gold, all the if you could have it all, there's still no profit there. There's still no benefit for your soul there because you're spiritual man. It's, 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 it's him, it's your soul that you're trying to reach out and satisfy, but none of that can. So we need to make sure we go to the source. We need to make sure that we save up our hunger for that blessing that can only come from our Heavenly Father. It can only be satisfied by Him. I love this verse in the Psalm, Psalm 107 verse 9, for He satisfieth the longing soul. Someone say, only Jesus. Only Jesus can satisfy the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. So you know what, I think the truth is for everybody here, whether you've been in this a long time or a short time, we all have tried a lot of other things. Not all sinful things. Sometimes they're just the weights that beset us, not the sin. We've tried them, and it leaves us empty. But today we can stop looking. Today we can understand that if we will start saying no, to some of those momentary, temporal, fleeting things. And we can say yes to some of the greatest blessings and the greatest bounty that we have ever known. And it only comes from Jesus. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life, and he that cometh to me shall never hunger. Isn't that an amazing promise? If you come to me, Jesus said, you're never going to hunger again. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. To me, that sounds like come hungry, leave happy. Come to me empty and leave satisfied and sustained and fulfilled. 
The last story, and I won't, I won't go into great detail, but you may be familiar with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And she had tried so many other things. Her vice was relationships. And she went from one marriage to the next to the next. And finally, the sixth man she's with, and, and she's not even married to him. She's just living with him. And she's empty, and she's been drawing water from all the, all the wrong wells. And she's been seeking for fulfillment in all the wrong places. And, and one day, she meets the master there at that well in Samaria. One day, the one who can, who can truly satisfy her, her longing in her soul, he shows up at the well. And he said to this woman, if you drink from this water, you're going to thirst again. But if you'll drink from the water that I give to you, John 4, 14, he said, you'll never be thirsty again. And it's going to become a fresh bubbling spring within you, and it's going to give you eternal life. That's what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about approaching the Lord in a position of hunger. I'm talking about approaching the Lord in a position that says everything else I've tried, everything else that I just snack on here and there, nothing is satisfied. But God, I'm coming to you. I'm saving up my hunger. I'm saving my appetite for the real deal, for the main course. I'm waiting and saving it. And I know that that blessing that can only come from you is going to come my way as a result. Stand together with me tonight. I think I'm talking to, to some new folks maybe in the room. You don't need to look anywhere else. You've found the source of life. You've, you've found the source of fulfillment. You can stop looking out there. It's here today. It's in Jesus. It's all in Jesus. But I think I'm also talking to some saved and sanctified saints. And we've been drinking water from earthly wells. I'm not saying you're in sin. I'm not saying you're far from God in, in, in terms of your relationship with Him. That you're lost on your way to a devil's hell. That's not what I'm saying. Some of us have been snacking from temporal storehouses. And it has dulled that longing for God. It fills our bellies. It may fill our calendars. It, it may be a distraction from the pressures of life. But it ultimately doesn't satisfy our soul. It might mask our desire for God temporarily it might pacify us but at the end of it we're left with a sense of longing and so I say it's time to let Jesus be the one only Jesus that satisfies our hunger and our thirst can you pray with me for a moment I have a call to action before we leave but I just wonder if you'd lift your voice and maybe close your eyes and just begin to pray just ask the Lord to begin to reveal in your life and in your mind, Lord, what are some things that, that I've been running to lately? Jesus, what are some things that have, been, that have been captivating my hunger and my thirst? What are some things, temporal as they are, that, have been, that I've been fixated on, Lord, that have been leading me down paths that, that are taking me further from You? In the name of the Lord Jesus. God, I'm claiming the promise of your word tonight. I'm praying that it would resonate in our spirit, that if we will hunger and if we will thirst for your righteousness, we shall be filled. We're going to be satisfied, and the blessings of God that flow from heaven's throne, they're going to lift us to new heights. They're going to send us to places we've never been. It's going to restore people that have been broken. It's going to lift people that have been downtrodden in the name of Jesus. I pray that hunger would be birthed, that hunger would be cultivated in some somebody today 
Oh, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, can we let the Spirit of God and the Word of God just lift us for a moment? Can we allow that Holy Ghost lift? Just begin to flow in this room. Oh, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're such a blessing to us, God. God, help us to see you for who you are once again. I pray, God, that we would shake off all temporal pursuits. I pray, Jesus, that we would shake off all temporal things that that temporarily satisfy us. God, let us return again to the only thing that satisfies. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.